everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy! Well, I don't know if you have mysteries that happen in your household. I'm not talking about the kind of mystery of like, I don't understand how this happens. I put, you know, dirty clothes in the hamper and then clean clothes show up in my drawers over and over again. Or, you know, I, my gas needle goes to empty and then it's miraculously back on full again. Or, you know, the bills just get paid. I don't mean those kinds of mysteries. I mean the kind of mysteries where you ask the people in your family, how could this possibly have happened? Have you, have you ever just, as a parent, found yourself just asking over? There's two questions I feel like as a parent you're asking over and over again. One is, what were you thinking? And the other one is, how did this happen? And I remember um, years and years ago, we had this green Chrysler minivan. And, you know, we bought it used, but it was in really good shape. And it was, it was a nice car. And one day we had this mystery of who had decided to make an art project of our fairly new minivan. Someone had taken a rock and they had kind of scratched uh, a design, you know, into the hood of the, uh, and we, we were asked the kids, you know, this is important. So you listen to their names. So I said, Peyton, did you do? No, sir, I did not. Carly, did, no, sir, I did not. Chase, no, sir, I did not. Cutler, no, sir, I did not. And I started to pay attention to the clues and I looked at the, the hood of the minivan a little bit longer and I could see a C. All right, that eliminates Peyton. H, hmm, that eliminates Cutler and Carly. A, and then you know how when you're, you're new at writing, you kind of run out of space, you don't know how to allocate space well for when you're making a poster. So we got Che on the front of our minivan for a few years, and that was how that mystery is resolved. But you probably have some mysteries in your home as well. Today we're going to talk about one of the greatest mysteries in history. One of history's greatest mysteries, and that is the church. The church is a mystery because um, we think that the church is absolutely incredible, that it is this incredible force that God has created, that Jesus left here in this world to do amazing good in his name. But honestly, how the church ever got any traction is a mystery. If you really stop and look at the evidence, the fact that Jesus really entrusted the church to a motley crew of some fishermen and a tax collector and some people that really probably weren't that qualified to begin a movement that would change the world, a movement that would impact the world in such an incredible way. I mean, it is a mystery. If you've never stopped and thought about the fact that there is a cross that hangs over the entrance, the emperor's entrance to the Colosseum in Rome, you need to stop and think about what happened that brought 
such impact to the world through the church that just a, a group of people on a hillside that Jesus could say to them, hey, I am gonna leave you in charge of this. How did that small group of people have such an outsized impact on the world? It is an incredible mystery. One way to think about it or one way to ask it would be to say this, how, how did a first century cult in the armpit of the Roman Empire. I mean, Judea was not where you went if you got promoted in the Roman Empire. How did a first century cult, which that's really what it was in the beginning, just this small sect, a lot of people thought it was just a spinoff of Judaism. How did this first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, whose leader was rejected? Like the, the leader came forward and for a moment, it seemed like he would be an impactful leader, but then he was not only rejected by his own people, he was crucified. He was crucified. How did this movement survive? And how did it not just survive, but how did it thrive in the face of a violent, organized, state-funded resistance? Have you thought about that? I mean, the, the, the likelihood that the church would not just survive, but thrive. The odds were clearly against it. Or another way that we could ask this question is, how did it come about? How did it come about? The Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it. How did it come to be that when you see a cross hanging around someone's neck, you know that even though in our culture today, it's more and more commonly accepted as just a piece of jewelry, but you know that that cross symbolizes not the tens of thousands of crosses that the Roman Empire used to crucify the enemies of the state, but that cross has come to symbolize one crucifixion, one life. One leader. How is it possible that the church has had such an outsized influence over the years? And by the way, it's not just Christians that think this. It's not just people in the church that think this. This is broadly accepted. If you look at Karen Armstrong, who's an author who has studied all kinds of different religious movements around the world, Karen Armstrong writes this. She says, against all odds, Against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. By the third century, it was, it was unstoppable. We still do not really understand how this came about. It is a mystery of history that the church would have such impact in the world. Now, it's not a mystery to us because we look back at what Jesus said. We look back at what Jesus predicted. We look back at what Jesus promised. And Jesus gathered his disciples um, after he had been crucified, after he had risen from the dead, after the tomb had been left empty. He was gathering with his disciples and, and he asked them a question. He's like, who, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter <laughs> finally gets an answer right. And he says, you, you are the Messiah. We talked about this back in the fall, right? The Messiah means the final king. You are the promised one. You are the ultimate fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. It is in you. You are the one. You are the son of God. And Jesus says, Peter, good job. Right answer. It's on this truth. It's on this principle, on this right answer, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. Now, the word in your English Bible there is church, 
But it's kind of a weird story of how the word church ever ended up in our English Bible. It's not a word that came from the Aramaic, which is what Jesus would have spoken. It is a word that came from German. So at some point, the Bible was translated uh, from Latin into German and then from German into English, the original English versions of the Bible. And so the word kirche or church, that is a German word that we often think of as representing a building or a place. I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to stay home from church today. I'm going to watch church today. Thank you for watching. But originally, Jesus never talked about the church as a place. Jesus talked about the church as a group of people, as a gathering. Ecclesia just means the gathering. It was something that you didn't do all by yourself. It was something that you did when you gathered together with other people. There would be this movement that would take place. And Jesus said, on this rock, on this declaration that Peter has made, on this truth that Peter has declared, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my gathering, and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Now, gates are stationary, and that means that the church is on the move, that we are moving against the gates of Hades. Now, the gates of Hades, you could think of that as the gates of hell. Probably to Jesus' audience, they thought of the gates of Hades as just meaning the gates of death that the gates would have represented death. And what Jesus is saying is, this movement is going to be so powerful. This movement is going to be so strong. This movement is going to be so overwhelming that even death cannot stop it. My death won't stop it. Your death, Peter, won't stop it. Your death, uh, Philip, won't stop it. Your death, Andrew, won't stop it. And it didn't matter that all of his followers would die, that this movement would continue on. This is the power of the church. And Jesus demonstrated that. He demonstrated that death would not stop the church because Jesus himself did not stay dead. And this is by far, I just saw a little thing, a little reel that popped up on my Instagram yesterday and it was talking about, you know, oh, the evidence is for, the evidence is for. The evidence is, is that the tomb is still empty. The evidence for all that we believe today, it's, it's not just a book, that's part of it, but it is more importantly that this book was written about Jesus. You know, if you look at most traditions, most religious traditions in the world today, they are written by a single individual who had a singular experience where they had a singular revelation, right? Um, Joseph Smith, he goes off and he has this revelation and angel speaks to him and all by himself, he writes down these words that supposedly come from an angel and then he comes back to everyone and he says, here we go, the Book of Mormon. It was revealed to me somewhere off in a secret place. That is not the story of the Bible. The Bible, Jesus, if you don't know this, Jesus didn't write any of the Bible. Jesus came and he lived his life in public and his life was witnessed by hundreds of witnesses. And they saw what he did and they saw and they heard what he taught. And then most importantly, they saw that their friend, their Lord was crucified and three days later, he rose again. And those, those followers of Jesus, they went to their death, not because they wouldn't recant what they believed, they didn't go to their death because they wouldn't recant what they believed. They went to their death because they wouldn't recant what they saw. They saw their friend and their savior risen from the dead. 
And it changed their lives in such a way that their lives changed the world forever. And the really cool thing is that when Jesus, when Jesus talks about the church, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. Jesus predicted us. Jesus predicted that there would be a movement that would follow his lifetime, a movement where people would say, I'm, 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 I'm reading these writings about Jesus, and these are written down because Jesus rose from the dead, because his life and his resurrection were so powerful that people who witnessed these events wrote these things down for us, and these have become reliable accounts for us to look back and to say, Jesus began a movement that changed the world. And the really exciting thing about it is 2,000 years later, you and I are part of that movement. That movement that Jesus started, you and I are a part of today. Jesus predicted us. And it's a powerful movement. In fact, Bart Ehrman, who is an atheist who studies the New Testament, he's a, one of the New Testament scholars who actually is an atheist. And he writes this, about uh, at the very end of his book, The Triumph of Christianity, he says, Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. This is a secular historian who's looking at the evidence and saying the world was changed because of the way that these people lived. He goes on to say it was a revolution. It was a revolution that affected governmental practices. God bless you. Legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, everything was radically, radically changed because of the presence of people who followed Jesus. And on the even more fundamental level, the very understanding, pay attention to this, this is huge, billions of people had about what it means to be human. Do you understand that what is now widely regarded as just an inherent piece of knowledge that everyone instinctively knows for most of human history was not something that everyone instinctively knew. When we say that a human life has value, we think that way and we believe that way because of the impact that the church has had on the world. We think that way in our culture, and now we think that way around most of the world because of the impact that the words of Jesus had about you and I being made in the image of God, being something that the church communicated to civilizations all across the world. And wherever the church has shown up, and wherever the church has taken root, and wherever the church has made an impact in this world, people have begun to see humans differently. People have begun to understand that every human being has worth, not just the powerful, but the women and the children and the elderly and the weak, that every human life has value. This was not common belief. This was not common knowledge before the time of Jesus. Human life used to be cheap. It used to be that if you had a woman, if you were a woman, you had no value. I think that every woman, regardless of your religious beliefs or your political beliefs, you should have like a bumper sticker on your car that says, I love Jesus. Because Jesus took women and he elevated them. He took children and he elevated them. He took the weak and the sick and he elevated them. And he said that every life has value because you are made in the image of God. 
Bart Ehrman goes on and he says, however one evaluates the merits of the case, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. And it was monumental and it was huge because Jesus said, look, I am the Messiah. I am the final king, but my kingdom is unlike any kingdom that you've ever seen. My kingdom is not a kingdom where the subjects serve the king. My kingdom is a kingdom where the king will lay down his life for his subjects. And then Jesus turned around to his followers and he said, your love for one another, that's going to be your brand. That's going to be your trademark. That's going to be how people know that you are Christians, you will be known by your love. And, and Jesus said, I'm going to give you this command, this command that you would lay down your lives for one another. And there was this early church, this early community that loved each other that way. And their love for one another changed the world. They were not a political movement. They had no power. They did not walk the halls of influence. They loved one another. They told stories about a Lord and Savior who had risen from the dead. They cared for the sick. They went after those who were on the edges and they welcomed them in. They were the hands and the feet of Jesus after Jesus had gone. And it is because of their service and because of their love and because of their sacrifice that the world was changed. It was because they refused to back down in the face of skepticism that they were willing to go to their death, some of them brutal, gruesome deaths, saying, I will not back down from what I have seen. I saw my Savior risen from the dead. And the church began to love one another and they began to love their communities and they began to love the unlovable people around them. And it was their love that changed the world. Now, fast forward 2,000 years. And we live in a culture and we live in a time now where it is easy to look at the landscape of the church, especially the church in America today, and to come to the conclusion that the church in America is dying. In fact, if you talk to statisticians, that's what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that church attendance is down. It's at the lowest point that it's ever been. They would say that the, there was already a trend in this direction. And then the pandemic accelerated this trend. And now we find ourselves at a place where the church in America is dying. And we are at the end of this season of influence of the church in the world. I wonder what those same sociologists and statisticians would have said if they had been around during the time of Nero. And if they had seen Christians being dipped into tar and then lit on fire to be used as torches in Nero's garden. I wonder if they would have thought then, this is the end of the movement. I wonder if any of them would have predicted that someday there would be a cross hanging over the emperor's entrance to the Roman Colosseum. 
You see, the church is not done. But we stand at a crossroads right now. We stand at a crossroads where this is the trend line and this is where it's moving. And post-pandemic, that movement has been accelerated and this has never been more possibly true than ever before. And so the question that I want you to think about today, and I want you to answer this out loud, but the question that I want you to think about today is, who gets to decide if that statement is true or not? Who gets to decide whether this becomes a reality? Who gets to decide if the church dies out before your grandchildren can be a part of it? Who gets to decide if the church instead is thriving? If the church is a place where the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that can find healing and can find hope and can find acceptance and can find love and can find belonging and can find purpose for their lives. Who gets to decide? You and I get to decide. We get to decide today if this is where the church is heading or if we're gonna be the generation that turns this around, if we're gonna be the generation that changes the trajectory of where church is heading in North America today. Because you see, the reality is, and, and this is a heavy responsibility, but if you are someone who follows after Jesus, if you are someone who says, I have surrendered my life to God, then you are the church. You are the church and to be the church is a big responsibility. You're not just the church and like church universal, church around the globe, but you are your church. You are the church right here in your community. In fact, when you have interactions with people at the gym or people at school or, or people at your kids' activities, when they're interacting with you, you are the church. You get to represent the church to them. And it's a responsibility, but it's an incredible privilege. And it's an incredible opportunity to love this world well. And I want us to be a church that loves this world well. I wanna be a church that invites people to connect with Jesus and that they can connect with Jesus by connecting to us. When we gather our volunteers together every Sunday morning, one of the things that we pray very often is that today we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. That when we greet people, that you would, you would sense as you come into this building that this is a place where people are genuinely caring for you. Why? Because the Savior genuinely cares for you. And we are his hands and feet. We are the expression of him. We are in fact, as we gather together, we are the body of Christ. We are the embodiment of Jesus. And so we wanna love people the way that Jesus loved people. Paul talked about this. Paul talked about this and he wrote very specifically, it's just a fantastic word picture about what it means for us to be the church. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says this, he says, now you are the church. You. You, 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 you. If you're someone who follows Jesus, then you are the church. And if you're here today and you're just visiting, you're kind of exploring faith in Jesus, then this is a great Sunday for you to be here because this is a great chance for you to know what we claim to be all about and hopefully what we will be all about as we 
love you, as we get to know you, as we invite you into this community that is the church. So Paul starts off and he says, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you, every one of you, no exceptions, each one of you is part of it. You are part of the body. So he, he goes back and he says, hey, now if the foot should say, and this is just a funny thing, I think. I think Paul's like, this is a little bit of Paul's uh, sense of humor here, but he says, now if the foot should say, first of all, if your foot should say anything, you should probably get that checked out. But he says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. You can't just, you can't just quit. If you're part of the body, you can't just be like, well, I'm just gonna quit. I'm just gonna chop it off and then I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna leave. Paul's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You, just because you don't like the role that you're given, just because you don't like the job that you, just because you don't like the place that you're given in the church, you can't just quit and walk away. You can't stop belonging. And he goes on, he says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, can you imagine if the entire body was an eye? That would just be so gross. I think that's, a, oh, so gross. But he, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. As Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, oh, but if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? You get this? He's just kind of drawing out the point. But in fact, God, and this is really important, God has placed. God is sovereign and God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You, with your skills, you, with your experience, you, with your talent, you, with your ability, you have been placed in the body exactly where God wanted you to be placed. I just think that's fantastic. I think that's so encouraging to know that like, I don't have to wonder, I don't have to, worry about, oh, am I doing that? Like God has placed me in a body. This is the body. And he's placed me here for a specific role and a specific purpose. If you're wondering like, what, what is my purpose? What is my calling? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, you are supposed to be part of the body. You're supposed to be connected to the body. And Paul goes on, he says, if they were all one part, where would the body be? Like that would be senseless, right? As it is, there are many parts, many, 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 many parts, but one body. That's where we find unity. Our unity isn't just in ignoring our differences. Our unity comes from understanding our common mission, our common purpose, our common goal. So Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You can't just be like, hey, I don't need you. Just start chopping off parts that, that don't belong, that you don't feel connected to. Jesus is like, Paul is like, you're all connected. This is Jesus' body and you're a part of it. And you are connected and you need to live as a connected body. Each of you, each of you, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Now, let me ask you a question. 
if I were to cut off my hand, would I survive? Would I live? Probably, right? In this modern era, it is even possible that, you know, miraculously, if someone found my hand, they could take it, they could restore it. But the reality is that if, if I chop off my hand, I will live, I will survive. But what happens to my hand? It dies, right? If you separate a part of the body from the body, that part of the body can no longer survive. It cannot live on its own. You cannot be separated from the body. And if you're someone who follows Jesus, if you're someone who says, I've given my life to Jesus, then you can't do that and say, oh, and also I'm disconnected from the body. It doesn't work that way. If you disconnect yourself from the body, you die. And some of you, you've got friends like this. You've got friends, you've had conversations where they say, well, you know, I'm good with God. I'm good with Jesus. I just don't like the church. Paul would say, well, then you're not good with Jesus. Because Jesus, like, it's a body, and you've got to be connected to the body. And if you're not connected to the body, you die, right? Let me just give you a visual illustration here. And let me tell you, this was not easy to obtain because um, there's evidently there's all kinds of laws about, you know, getting human body parts. And that's why this is just a little rubber hand, not a real one. But... Um, I was carrying this into the building this morning and someone saw me walk through the hall with this and they just went, oh, gross. Well, why would you say that? It's just a hand. You shake people. You probably shook 10 hands this morning on the way in, right? You didn't like shake somebody's hand and then be like, oh, gross. Unless they have one of those fish handshakes, you know, that's not good. If you're that, if you're that person, and you're, don't, don't give me the limp fish. Like I want a good handshake, right? But when you shake hands with somebody, you're not like, oh, gross, I just touched that person's hand, right? But if I pass this around the room right now, even though you know it's fake, some of you would still not even want to touch this as it goes by. You'd be like, oh, that's just gross. It just grosses me out. Why? Why is it gross? Come on, why is it gross? Because it's separate from the body. It's separate from the body. And I just want to say this to you today. This is our message. Don't be gross. <laughs> Don't be separate from the body. If you've got friends that are not here right now and you need to draw them into the body, why? Because you don't want your friends to be gross. You, you need to be part of the body. And part of the body, honestly, it just starts with like showing up. Just be part of the body. We had this really fun story uh, just a couple of weeks ago. We had a couple that were visiting here for the very first time. Uh, I, I, didn't, I can't see if you're in the room today, uh, but uh, they had come down from Ohio and just moved here a few weeks ago, moved into one of the neighborhoods, Googled churches near me, and boom, landed at Access Church, right? And after the service, we're talking at the Four St. John's table, which by the way, if you're a guest, we wanna give you free gifts. We wanna give you t-shirts and coffee mugs that say Four St. John's because we are Four St. John's and we want you to join us in our mission to be for the community. But we were talking and I noticed that there was someone else that was waiting to talk to me. And I just said, hey, could, 
hold on one second. I want to make sure that I greet this other gentleman that's waiting to say hi. And so the other gentleman steps forward. And he's like, hi, I'm Paul. And as he says, I'm Paul, the guy, Kent, that I've been talking to, Kent looks at Paul and he's like, Paul? And then Paul looks at him. He's like, Kent? Paul, Kent, Paul, Kent. And the two of them are like, turns out that they went to high school together in Columbus, Ohio, and they knew each other. They went to church together. There's all these crazy ways that God has used them. They kind of lost touch after high school. Then they came back together. They're going to the same church together in high school, instrumental in each other's lives spiritually, lost touch again. Now it's been like 10 years later. And you know, Paul's down here for the weekend from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Kent just moved down here from Columbus, Ohio, and they bump into each other at a little tiny Access Church. Now, how cool is that, right? And then what's really fun is like, you know, everybody, there's sort of like this ripple effect that starts to happen in the hallway because then other people, you know, all of us, like we're all going, no way. And then other people are like, what's going on? No way. And then, you know, Marino and Kathy come up and then, you know, their voices go up an octave and everybody's like, whoa. And so then like, it sort of gets to be like more and more people are standing around. And, and I got to tell you, this is, but I, the preacher in me, I could not resist. I'm watching this whole thing happen. And I just said, hey, you know where you will never see this happen? sitting at home. You, you, you had to show up for this to happen. You had to be in the building for this to happen. You, you have to gather. See, the original church, it wasn't called the church, the building, the place. It was called the ecclesia, the gathering, the coming together. And it's when we gather together that something really powerful happens. So don't be gross. And further, I want to encourage you to be connected. You know, if you had to reconnect a severed body part, if you were a vascular surgeon and, and, and you had to do all that's involved or a neurosurgeon, I even know all the surgeons get involved with that, but they got all, they've got to connect the blood vessels. They've got to connect the muscles. They've got to connect the tendons. They've got to connect the nerves. They've got so much work to do to connect a body part to the body, right? And you need to be not just around the body. It doesn't help if I just carry this around with me and somebody's like, hey, can, I need a hand. Here you go. I'm, there's a hand. No, I need, I need you to be connected. I need you to help. And so we need you to be engaged. We need you to be connected. And if you have taken a season off and you've been disengaged, or if you're watching online today and this has become a habit for you, I know we've made it so easy because we do this so well, but, but we need you to be re-engaged. We need you to get reconnected. We need you to step forward and re-engage with our church. And so I'm inviting you today I'm inviting you to step forward and to engage in the body, to connect with the body. And, and there's many ways that we do this, um, but I'm inviting you to be part of something bigger. When I, I first started in ministry, it was always hard for me to ever feel like I was asking people in the church to jump in and to do things in the church. And I realized that by not asking people to jump in and to be a part of things, I was robbing them. I was robbing them of the opportunity to see and to feel what it looks like when God uses you in the lives of someone else. Oh, it's the most incredible thing. Our son is, uh, our oldest son is in Atlanta and he is a small group leader for middle school students, actually sixth grade boys. If you can imagine, he has a small group with 25 sixth grade boys. They're all boys and they're all in sixth grade. And there's 25 of them. He has a co-leader. 
But last night they had, uh, this weekend actually, they're still, they're still doing it. Um, they had a weekend with the middle schoolers at North Point. And two of you texted last night late. Two of his boys accepted Jesus last night. And he was so excited to share that, as he should be. Because to be part of someone else connecting to the body of Christ, it's a powerful thing to feel I'm being used that way. And so I want to invite you in to being part of the body and to being a useful limb, a useful hand, a useful foot, a useful eye, a useful ear in the body of Jesus. You see, our mission here is to inspire people to follow Jesus. You've heard us say that on Sunday mornings. We want to inspire people to follow Jesus. And the rest of our mission statement is by engaging them in the life and mission of the local church. We think the local church is the best hope for our community. There is, I'm sorry, but there is no other organization out there that offers hope and healing the way that the local church does. And we believe that this local church and our desire to reach people, not only who are following Jesus, to be a, but to be a safe place for you to invite your friends who are not connected to the body and to create a place here where they will always feel loved and welcomed, where they can belong before they believe. We believe that makes us the single best hope for our community, for people to connect with their heavenly father. And so we want to invite you to engage. And, and this is what it looks like to engage. We talk about this a lot, but maybe you've not heard us say this. Um, to engage, first of all, means to ask boldly. And that means to pray. We say this church began with a small group of people who began to pray that God would use them to do something in this city. And that is still the way that we start every initiative, every effort, we start by praying and we ask boldly. Now, I would love it if you would pray every morning for Access Church. I start my day every day praying for you and praying for this church. I've got some little three by five cards and I've written things down on there. I've written verses on there that I pray for this church and that I pray for you. I've got a list of some of you who need God's mercy in your life because of the difficult things that you've gone through. I've got a list of some of you who haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. And you've said to me, I've got questions and I'm almost ready, but I'm not there yet. And I pray for you every morning. I pray for our volunteers. I pray for our staff. I pray for our leaders at Access Church. I pray for our elders. I pray that God would give us wisdom and clarity as we lead this organization. And I ask for God boldly. I ask for God to do a miracle on our behalf, to give us an opportunity to have land and a building and a place to establish a permanent foothold here in St. John's County. And I would love to have you Pray with me for Access Church. The second thing we ask you to do is that you would give generously, that this church would be part of your family's financial picture, that the church that you love would be a church that you support, that you would think about ways that you can help this church be strategic and strong in this community. We cannot take the steps that we want to take without everybody on board saying, we are gonna do this together. I want you to connect authentically that means to, to engage with other people in, in real ways. Uh, we, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that our community groups are real, that we're not a bunch of Sunday people that are just dressed up and putting our best foot forward and pretending to be something that we're not, but we are real and we are transparent and we are authentic in our community. And I want to invite you to serve strategically. I want to invite you to take a step and be willing to give your time and your energy and your relationships 
to the young people at this church, to the next generation of this church, to serve in such a way that you are helping us to create environments that welcome other people every single Sunday. And then I want you to invest in your neighbors and your friends. And when the time is right, invite them to be a part, to be connected to the body. And so I've got some friends in the room that are gonna help pass out some cards. And I wanna give you a little bit of homework right now. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to, uh, to sign up for one of these uh, opportunities. If you are not currently serving at Access Church, I would love, my goal is 100% participation. That every single person here would be serving in some way. And there are so many different ways to serve. And I've got about two minutes to run through them all. So here we go, ready? The first one is what I call easy start. This is like, ah, my schedule's really weird and I can't serve every Sunday. And I'm not even sure I believe what you guys believe. And we say, hey, jump on board, be part of a team. We would love to have you. And these easy start opportunities are the guest experience team, road crew, that's the team that is set up and tear down, adult worship production, you get a really cool black t-shirt, um, hospitality, uh, that's our team that helps with special events like when we do uh, the pulled pork competition, that type of thing and photography, people that help us with our social media presence. Um, and you know, you don't have to be gifted at any of these things. You just have to fake it for a few minutes on Sunday morning. I tell people on our guest experience team all the time, you know, you, you fake it all the time in life. You can fake it for 20 minutes on Sunday morning. Just pretend you like people. And no, none of them fake it. They all love you genuinely when they greet you and welcome you into our place. Um, so anyway, that's Easy Start Sunday. Just jump in, lend a hand, help out. These are easy jobs. And if you say, oh, my schedule's weird, you know what? Go look at your calendar ahead of time, pick out some Sundays when you can serve, and then let us know, and we'll schedule around you. We do that all the time with folks. Like, you just tell us when you can serve. Hopefully, you can serve at least once a month. If it's less than once a month, it becomes a little bit less helpful, honestly, because it's a scheduling nightmare, but at least once a month on any of these teams, and you're good to go. All right, the next one is weekday opportunities. And um, we've got some huge needs right now for weekday opportunities. That's in administration, um, curriculum and supplies. This is stuff like when we have new families on Sunday and they fill out a card, somebody's got to enter that card in the computer, right? So there's administration stuff. There's kids' curriculum and supplies. We've got to order stuff. We've got to make sure that all the kids have enough popsicle sticks and enough glues for the activities they do. Event planning, social media, um, we don't really do a lot with set design and build. I need to take that off there, but uh, we don't do much of that anymore. All right, we're going to move to the next one. Kids and student environments. This is, um, this is like, hey, I don't, I don't know if you really want me leading kids, but I would sure like to be in the room and help make the environment happen. And so we have opportunities for babies and ones. In Upstreet, we've got this really cool, you guys don't even know, we've got this really cool large group environment in Upstreet where the kids sing and they play games, and they have a great time and they have a Bible story. It is fantastic. This is for our elementary age students, but we need people who are willing to help with that. We need people in Upstreet who will do games and who'll do production teams, sound and lights and video. And in student ministry, we need people who are willing to stand up and teach our students the truths from God's word. We'll give you We'll give you an outline. We just need you to be able to teach our students and in student ministry to help with the games and to make it a fun environment that they want to come back to and they want to bring their friends. And then finally, leading people. 
And this is where we raise the bar a notch. This is where we say, hey, we're not gonna put you in one of these roles unless you're confident and we're confident that you believe the same things that we believe and that you're living the way that God has called us to live. But in these roles, we say, you can be a small group leader in Wombland, in Upstreet, and in student ministry. And then here's, here's a couple of things that we really need right now. We need some folks who are willing to step in as coaches. Uh, so a coach doesn't actually sit in with the small group. That coach is the person who's kind of on the periphery. They just make sure that everything goes smooth. They're the ones that, by the way, when you go to pick up your upstreet kid, it's usually the coach that is greeting you, going and getting your kid, bringing you your kid. That's the coach role. The coach isn't one of the small group leaders, but the coaches are in there to help make that environment a smooth running environment. The coach is also the one who gets to be kind of like the dean, um, I spent a lot of time going to see the dean and some of your children spent a lot of time going to see our coaches. And our coaches are the ones that say, you know, you have two choices in life. Um, one of them is to stay here and enjoy your small group. And the other one is to go sit with mom and dad in big church. Anybody else get sent to big church a lot when they were a kid? Yeah. So we have a lot of sympathy for your kids because um, your lead pastor was terrible as a young person. So, um, but this is the role for coaches and substitute leaders. This is a really cool thing. In, in the last year, we have had 35 new volunteers come aboard with our different teams here at Access Church. And that has been fantastic. That has been honestly, probably one of the best things that happened to Access Church over this last year is that so many new people came on board. And the beautiful place that that puts us right now is we're not like desperate. We, we're not like, you know, just like, oh, the boat's leaking, everybody's got to bail. It's not that kind of situation. Um, in fact, in Upstreet, for example, every one of our small groups right now have small group leaders, and that is incredible. That is like such an answer to prayer. But what we really could use are some substitute leaders who can now come alongside and uh, be available for when those leaders have to be out of town or what we'd really like to start doing is taking some of y'all, maybe your parents, maybe you are a parent of an upstreet kid, start rotating you into these positions so that for as long as we continue to have just one service, that some of these upstreet leaders um, can come in and be a part of this experience on Sunday morning because we've got some upstreet leaders, God bless them, but they haven't had a break in a really long time. And they're over there every Sunday with elementary students and we're in here and it's not the same. <laughs> you didn't have the same church experience that they did this morning. And theirs is awesome. It's super, super fun. Um, but every once in a while, it's kind of nice to, you know, be with grownups. You know that. Now, Here's how to know if you're disengaged right now. If you're thinking right now, as you look at this list, yeah, somebody should do that. Somebody, somebody should do that. Now, um, I had a, a really great conversation this week with one of my favorite people. Um, I call him St. Mike. And um, he, he lives among us. He, he walks among us. He, he's, but he, this is just a perfect example. I was going to use Mike this morning as an illustration. And I texted Mike as this idea was kind of forming in my head. And um, I texted Mike on Friday night. I said, hey, are you going to be at church on Sunday? And his reply to me right away was, yes, what do you need? How can I help? And I was like, well, that right there, you thank you, Mike. You just gave me my illustration for this message, because whenever you think somebody should do that, you know, somebody's sick, somebody from the church ought to go visit them. You know, somebody, somebody's uh, in need, somebody from the church ought to make them a meal. Somebody ought to go take care of that. Whenever you think that's somebody, and, and I, I was having lunch with Mike on Thursday, and I said, Mike, this really just kind of, I said, you're somebody. 
You're somebody. Because every time somebody says that somebody should do that, Mike shows up and he is that somebody. And so I got this shirt for you, Mike. And so uh, it was the only colors that they had left at the store. Could you believe it? I, it pained me so much, but I, I, we have a t-shirt guy that prints all of our t-shirts because we give away a lot of t-shirts here. And I said, JR, I never do, I've never done this to you, but I need a t-shirt like turned around today. And, um, and, and I said, it needs to be in Georgia Bulldogs colors. And JR's like, I don't, I don't feel like I can do that. But we did. So Mike, come on, this is uh, your, your t-shirt here. And... Um, There you go. Now, I want to give you an opportunity. You too can be somebody. This is your moment. You today could be somebody. So in fact, I had 20 of those shirts made up. And if you turn in a card today with, uh, you know, so it's gotta, it's gotta be a race. It's just the first 20. After that, we're out of t-shirts and I'll have to order more. But, but there are 20 t-shirts out there waiting for those of you who are willing to turn in a card and say that you are willing to be somebody. Somebody that could lead someone to trust Jesus. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to step forward yet, if you're not willing to take on a role, can I ask you to do at least just this? Will you ask boldly for our church? Will you pray for our church? If you can't do anything else, pray for this church that we would be in this community, the body of Jesus Christ, that we would love people, that our hands and feet would be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because, because as Jesus promised, the darkness did not overcome the light of the world. And Jesus has called you and me to be the light of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us to be a part of your movement, your ecclesia in this world. Help us to take advantage of every opportunity and to love people well. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.